throughout the summer for the last 10 weeks, we've been um, looking at this idea, the different characteristics, the different names of God as they've been described in the Old Testament. And uh, we can see that throughout the study, they've, God's names have always addressed or targeted towards addressing our deepest needs. And so we've been learning about our understanding and developing our understanding of how God determines the satisfaction in our life. Well, today we want to talk about um, one last area of God's characteristics. One thing that Jesus Christ came to earth to show us is what God is really like. And Jesus uh, exploded in his time all the stereotypes that many of the people thought about God. He showed us that God is not some impersonal force, not some cosmic uh, energy out there, or just some impersonal power or energy field out in the universe. Um, he showed us that God is not some angry tyrant who sits up in heaven waiting for miserable things to happen to us as people. God's not some apathetic uh, creator who winds up the world and sets it down and then passively sits back and watches to see what happens. In fact, Jesus described God in, in two key words. In Matthew chapter 6, in verse 9, he said, this is how you should pray. In other words, he's, he's telling us this is how we should be addressing the Father. Here's how we can talk and interact with God. He says, our Father in heaven. And he, and he outlines this idea that he wants us to think of God as our Heavenly Father. Now, today, this isn't really that big of a deal, okay? I mean, we talk about the fatherhood of God all the time, but I want you to think back in Jesus' time 2,000 years ago. This was some really radical stuff. This whole idea about God as Father was just unmentionable in the Old Testament times. And, and, and as a matter of fact, in the entire Old Testament over thousands of years, God is only referred to as Father seven times. So when Jesus in this passage is referring to, to God as Father, you know what? In this chapter alone, in Matthew chapter 6 alone, he refers to God as Father seven times just in this chapter. And in his teachings and throughout the New Testament, we see God referred to as Father over 150 times, this idea about God as our Heavenly Father. So back then, it was really frying some people's circuits when Jesus was talking about addressing God as our Heavenly Father. Well, the good news is that um, we, know, we can know God as a person and, and not as a thing, that he has a personality, that he has a character. See, it's very difficult to relate to an energy or a power or some cosmic mystic thing. Um, but God, we can identify him as our Father. And you know what? I can relate to that. I can be intimate with that. I can have relationship. I can talk to him. Um, the challenge is when I use the word father for some people, this morning I know that that conjures up um, some painful memories for you. Rather than it just being a happy phrase, it's a sad term, maybe in some even Im Im invoking some, some anger, the sense of anxiousness or anxiety. When you, when you hear the term father, it stirs up this aspect of some kind of resentment because maybe your dad was neglectful or he was abusive either physically or verbally or you had a father who just wasn't there. He was a, a non-entity in your life. Some of you, uh, when you think of the word father, it brings up fear, you know, that, that old saying, just wait till your father gets home. 
and, and you weren't sure how he was going to respond. And, and, you know, that leads us to think, you know, if God is like my earthly father, then, then I don't want any part of him. You know, no thanks, God. I'm just not that interested. You see, human fathers can be um, selfish, demanding, inconsistent, and self-centered. Human fathers can make homes hell on earth. They can be all kinds of things that would make us say, you know what, if God is like that, I don't want anything to do with him. Why would I ever want that in my life? So Jesus qualified this term. He said, this is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. So he said to pray to our heavenly Father. And he's just not talking about some location where God is, off in heaven. He's talking about the character of God. He's talking about the person and the quality of God. He's a heavenly Father as opposed to a, an earthly Father. And, and obviously, he's very, very different from human fathers. In the first place, God is perfect, and none of us as human fathers are. We're imperfect. We make mistakes. We blow it. You want to know something? God has never blown it. He's never blown it. He's unlike us. He's absolutely on a whole nother plane. Now, when we talk about God as Father, there's often some misconceptions about God, the, the, and the misconceptions tend to fall into just a couple of categories. And I have no doubts that in a crowd this size today, some of you are, have experienced some of these or maybe thought of this. For instance, for, to some of you, when you think about God, you think that God is unreasonable. And the reason that you don't want to get to know God is because he puts all those unreasonable demands on you. Um, you know, those things that he puts on your life and you think, I can never live up to that. All he wants to do is make my life tough. Give me rules and regulations and restrictions. He wants to remove all my fun. We think of God as some uh, guy who's up there, uh, this cosmic killjoy who wants to just ruin all my joy and all my happiness. And so obviously if you feel that way, you're not going to find the idea of God as a loving father is very attractive because you just, you, you, you don't, you just think the guy's unreasonable. Others of you might think he's unreliable. The reason for this is because, you know, maybe you've been hurt. It's an interesting characteristic of human behavior that when somebody hurts us, we tend not only to blame that person, but we tend to also oftentimes blame God. Some of you here today have never got close to God because you've never dealt with that very sense of resentment in your heart that you've had towards him. Maybe you've blamed God for bad things that, that have happened to you. You know, you say, why did this happen, God? Why did you let that happen? If that's the kind of God you are, no thanks, God. I'm just not all that interested. So we re resist because we think that he's unreliable. I can't trust him. And when we've been hurt, it's recognizable that trust is a difficult thing. And so there's going to be some challenges there for us. You know, we might say, well, why, why has God allowed that hurt? Well, that, that, that starts to bring up this whole idea about God's given us the freedom to choose. And, and I don't have a lot of time to go into all that this morning, but God has given us this sense of choice and this free will. He wants us to choose what is good. He wants us to choose him. And because he's given us that choice, um, and he's given others that choice as well, sometimes bad things happen because we don't make the right choices. We tend to hurt people people tend to hurt us. Oftentimes we focus on how people have hurt us, but we don't always often think about how we've maybe 
made bad choices and hurt other people as well. So, um, you know, that, that aspect of our own self-centeredness and that own selfishness, God could have made us puppets and, you know, made it so that nothing bad ever happened. Everybody always treated us nice and, and those types of things. But what kind of a God would that be? He wants us to make this choice towards him. So he's given us that freedom of choice. Now, now, some of you would prefer that other people wouldn't have a free choice so they could never hurt you, but you wouldn't want to lose that free choice yourself. You see, God's consistent in, in conjunction in, 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 in allowing us to do that. So he wants us to choose what's good. Now, some others think that maybe God is unconcerned. Yes, I believe there's a God, you say, but he's just too busy to bother with me. How could God be possibly interested in little old me? You know, uh, God's got bigger things to worry about. He's got universes that he's yet to create and, and management of things that he's going to oversee. Uh, how could he ever be concerned about my job, my marriage, my kids, my schooling, my boyfriend, my girlfriend? You just, you know, how could he, how could he ever be concerned about all those petty little things? And then another misconception that we have about God is that he's unpleasable. You know, no matter how hard you try, you can just never please the guy. If you get C's in school, he wants B's. If you get B's, he wants A's. If you get A's, he wants A pluses and he wants straight A's. You know, there's nothing that I ever can do that's enough to please him. He's just totally unreasonable. Where in the world did we ever get that idea? What most of us tend to do is project the weaknesses of our parent or our parents unto God. So if your dad was hard to please, you probably think God's hard to please. If your parents were unreasonable, you'd probably project that on that God was unreasonable. Whatever your parent was like, we tend to push off or project onto how God is. Well, today, I want you to open up your minds and your heart and take all the concepts that you've had about God to this date, just, you know, kind of unscrew it, take it off, and go over and just put it on the shelf for a few minutes, okay? Because most of the misconceptions we have from movies or from things that we've read or from other people or sometimes even our own families regarding this issue of the fatherhood of God is, is wrong. They're based on all these misconceptions. And so instead of what movies say that God is like, let's take a look at God's Word and see what he says about himself and the true aspect of what God's really like. What does the Bible really say um, that God is really like? Because he's not often portrayed accurately through religions or movies or, or anything else. So the first thing that the Bible says is God is a caring father. He's compassionate, loving, gracious. He cares about us. In fact, God loves us more than we can ever know. I mean, our brains are just so limited that they're not big enough to process this whole aspect of God's character of compassion and his character of love. As a matter of fact, the, the number one characteristic, the number one aspect of, of God that we, we need to come to, to deal with is this aspect that he's a loving God, that he's a caring God. That, that, that's one of his top attributes. The Bible tells us in Psalm 104, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who honor him. God is a caring father. He's compassionate. You know, there's a story in the Bible. The disciples are um, the 12 guys that were hanging around with Jesus. Um, they were in a boat together, and they were out, and a storm came up on the lake, and uh, the waves are breaking over, and the boat's rocking, and... and uh, 
Jesus isn't really um, paying attention. As a matter of fact, he's at one end of the boat sleeping. And as the waves are breaking over and crashing, and the disciples are, um, are getting a little excited about this, and they go over and they wake Jesus up and they shake him and say, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? You know, this is one of the most profound questions in human existence. Does God care about my problems? Does he even really care? Does he care enough about my hurts and what I'm going through? Does he care what happens to me? And until we settle that issue, we're not going to get really get to know God. If we think he doesn't care, then why would we ever want to get to know him? So does God really care about the details of my life? Well, the answer is yes. It says it many, many times in the Bible. One place, in 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, cast some of your anxiety on him. Does it say that? No, it doesn't say that. It says, cast all your spiritual sounding problems on him. Does it say that? No, it doesn't say that. It says, cast all your anxiety on him. That means all the anxiety, all the stress that you have in him, financial, physical, spiritual, social, emotional, relationship, a relational lie, because he cares for us. Does God care about your house payment? Yes. Does he care about the fact that your kids need braces on their teeth? Yeah, he does. Does God care about the grades you get in school? He does. And all the kids said, oh, shoot. <laughs> does God care about your moods? He does. Does he care about your financial investments? Yes. Does God care about your dreams and your hopes and in your ambitions? He does. Does he care about whether you're a success or a failure in life? Absolutely. Is he a caring father? Yes. We have a heavenly father that cares about all the details of our lives. Because of that, the Bible says this. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we wear? Your heavenly father knows you need these things. He says, what are you worrying about? I know the details of your life. I know what your needs are and I'm going to meet your needs. We, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago when we talked about God as our provider. See, God doesn't want us worrying about our needs and, and, and anything else either because he's our Heavenly Father. He, he wants to say to us, listen, I'm your caring Father. Don't sweat it so much, okay? I'm around. So, you know, this idea, whenever we start worrying about something, um, it's, it's a life warning sign that we're starting to doubt the love of God. We start worrying about things um, kind of uncontrollably, then, you know, we need to re-examine, do we, do we really trust that God can handle it? Last week, um, I asked, um, uh, asked the video team to just go around the church and, and talk to some fathers about, you know, some of the things they were experiencing. And, and we asked them two simple questions. The first was, what do you find most rewarding about being a father? And the second question we asked is, what is the toughest part of being a good dad? Take a look at this video. Can we play the video? Take a look at this video and see what they said. How deep the Father's love for us. The most rewarding about being a father is the fulfillment of seeing your kids become everything God designed them to be. When I see Bradley and Rachel interact with other people and they show kindness, you get to see your, your kids grow up, probably spending time with my family and just being with them and enjoying the relationship. Is watching the transition of the, uh, our children, because ours are now grown. You know, as time goes by, just being with my sons is so awesome uh, that I have great impact on my kids, both probably negative and, 
in positive way. Getting to make fun of my kids when they're around their friends. Just to be with them, maybe give them a hug. Just spending time with my kids and knowing that, that I have an influence on them and, and loving them and getting that love back from them. Uh, watching them grow as men and watching them grow spiritually has been amazing and rewarding. Uh, actually, just the other day, uh, Lofton walked up to me, and he just reached his arms up to me like he wanted me to um, pick him up. And it was the first time that I've seen him do it. To see my children grow and see them uh, accomplish things on their own and enjoy their own life and expand their own dynamics of what it means to be a person. And it certainly helps when uh, your children make the decision to follow Jesus. Yeah, the toughest part about being a good dad is the, the discipline. Uh, sometimes your kids aren't going to like you in the moment. It's a tough question. <laughs> Making sure that I stay, keep my relationship right with God so I can be a good godly father. And Probably trying to discipline the children and show them the way they should go. The toughest part about being a father, I would say, is uh, feeling incredibly inadequate. You know, we all make tons of mistakes, and uh, we don't want to see those mistakes in the It's understanding that you're not there to be their friend, and that being a father is the father first. I think for me, just letting them go. The toughest part about being a good dad is when kids stay smarter than you. Seeing them grow up, and then you know they're going to leave. It may take even years before they appreciate what you're doing. Yeah, there's really no uh, owner's manual to tell you how to do this. But having that faith that that's the right thing to do gets you through it. You know, it's pretty cool, isn't it? Now, let me ask you this. How do you think God would respond to those same two questions? And all the congregation said, hmm... Well, you know, another thing the Bible tells us about God is he's a consistent father. You know, we can count on him every time. He never lets us down. He's always dependable, entirely consistent with who he is. And he's worthy of our trust. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from the Father who does not change like shifting shadows. The truth is, as earthly fathers, um, we're sometimes unpredictable. Uh, I know some teenagers who feel like that, where they're not really sure um, what dad's going to be like today. Sometimes he's like Katie Kaboom. He just, you know, goes off. And other times he's just uh, so mellow that um, they can't tell. I mean, his moods just swing and vary. Let me just say something here. Inconsistent fathers, listen, inconsistent fathers produce insecure kids. So where do we find security in an inconsistent world? Well, the answer that the Bible tells us is that it's in a consistent father as God. He's not moody, never has a bad day. It's good news for us. You know, what if God woke up one day and said, I feel a little crouchy today. You know, who can I zap today? What kind of a world would that be? What kind of God is that? The good news is God's always consistent. And the great news is his consistency, listen, his consistency and his dependability don't depend on your consistency and your dependability. God the Father is consistent. 
Second Timothy says it this way, even when, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. I am so glad on those days that I am down, God is still up. I'm so glad that God doesn't have bad days. When I'm struggling, God is still victorious. He's always consistent. You see, the fact is, the world around us is changing at an incredible pace. I mean, the speed of life is, is really a challenge that we need to address on a daily basis. And because of that, we all need what Al, Alvin Toffler calls these islands of stability. Do you get the picture? These islands of stability in a world of change. Uh, Toffler is an American writer who, who studies um, the changing aspects, the changing force in culture and in society. He's also an assistant editor for Fortune magazine. And he, and he talks about this aspect of saying, where do people find these islands of stability, these things that aren't changing in such a changeless society? You know, the, the body of Christ, the local church, is one of those things that we look to for consistency and stability in an ever-spinning and an ever-changing world. How do we treat one another? So while everything around us is changing, what can, we absolutely, what can we absolutely count on who's always the same, that's always consistent? And the answer is God. He always acts with forgiveness. He always acts in love. He always acts with grace. He doesn't change. He's caring. He's always consistent. That's what the real God is like. And in the man-made religions of the world, when we try to make up our idea of God, it's always different. In man-made religions, I don't care if it's Greek gods or Eastern gods or whatever, he's always fickle. God's, those gods are always temperamental. You always have to appease them. The true God, the only God, is different. Malachi 3.6, God is speaking. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. We can count on that. See, one of the greatest causes of resentment that, that maybe you've experienced, our children oftentimes experience that, is, is when we break our promises, is this resentment that comes from broken promises. The good news here is that God always keeps his promises. That's the kind of father that he is. Romans eleven twenty nine 29 tells us God will never go back on his promises. And in Psalm um, 59, verse 10, in the Old Testament, we learn God is changeless in his love for me. Um... This is a picture of Vern Marrier. Vern um, is my dad. Um, uh, Vern went to heaven two and a half years ago. I bring this picture up um, just as a, as a reminder for myself and as a tribute to, to my earthly father, who was a man who was really consistent. I have a heritage built into my life. I, he gave me a gift that he'll never know, and that was his consistency. I'm one of eight children. My dad loved my oldest brother, who's 14 years older than I am, the same or as much as he loved me as he loves my stepsister. It, it, it never changed. He was always consistent. And I wish I had time to tell you more stories about it, but today I don't. If you want to ask me sometimes, I'd love to tell you about it, because I still miss him every day. Just he was a rock in our household. But... On the tail of that, I want to say a word of you who grew up in a father who was far less than perfect. Maybe your dad was absent or abusive and there's still some real hurt there. I understand that. The truth is that more, the more imperfect your father is on earth, the more difficult it's going to be for you to trust your heavenly father. 
I mean, it's a natural response that, that you're probably just going to say, you know, I'm just not sure I can believe this. Some of you had fathers that loved you the best that they could. Maybe he wasn't perfect. Maybe your dad wasn't perfect. But you knew that he loved you just the best that he could. And because of that love for you, I've experienced this. I've been given this incredible gift. He built something into my life that will never be taken away. And it's, and it's um, helped me grow in my relationship to my Heavenly Father. And so wherever you are in that spectrum today, I just pray that you'll take a minute and, and, and ask God to give you that gift of His incredible fatherhood that you can know it firsthand and real. You know, I, I know this is a, sub, a sensitive subject. You, you know, some of you didn't have a good relationship with your dad, and you've struggled over the years. It wasn't only imperfect, it was painful, it was hurtful. Um, but we live in a, you know, it's this idea that every child deserves great relationships with their mom and their dad. You know, it, it's just not fair. But we live in a world that, that isn't fair. So how do we deal with that? Well, today, if you take nothing else away from this, uh, today I just want to encourage you, trust God. Trust God as the father you never had. Trust God as the father that maybe your dad never was. He's a different kind of father. He's a father. God is a father who cares. He's a father who's consistent. And not only that, but he's a God that's close. He's close to us. It means he's available all the time. He's, he's there when we need him. He's approachable. He's not distant. He's not far off. He's available. The Bible says it this way in Acts 17, 27. God did this so that people would reach out for him and find him since he is not far from each of us. God wants us to find him. God wants us to know him. He wants us to have a close relationship with him. Now, you know, again, I know some of you grew up with absentee fathers. Your dad was never around when you were growing up, or if he was around, maybe he didn't care, or he was hiding behind the newspaper. He seemed aloof. He seemed distant. He just... Um, um, some of you, maybe your dad was just a non-entity. He just had little or no impact at all. Um, you know, there was, a, there was a study in Time magazine that was recently uh, completed, and, and also the, um, the President's Council on Economic Advisors um, also did a follow-up study in conjunction in this, and they looked at the impact of absentee parents in, in the homes. And, and here's what they found. Listen to this. I mean, they, they found what we knew and observed often anecdotally. It's, it's that the rise in two-earner income families as well as the rise of single-parent families has resulted in the fact that parents now spend, are you ready for this, 22 hours with their children less, 22 fewer hours with their children each week than they did just 30 years ago. That's almost a full day per week in lost parental attention in just the last generation. You know, and we wonder why our kids are shooting each other on campuses and our nation is running amok. We've, we've decided, God forgive us, we've decided that a certain standard of living is more important than time with our kids. Now, listen, I know some of you are saying, but we've got to make ends meet. Can I just challenge that assumption for a little bit? Let me just push back on that and say, you know, maybe it's time that we lower our expectations a little bit. We lower our ends. Why do we spend so much time and energy trying to uh, buy a lifestyle that we can't afford 
on the backs of our relationships with our children? Do we realize that the image that our children are going to have of God, that the introduction and their interaction with God is greatly influenced by how we treat them and what kind of time that we invest in Him? I am so glad that God is a close father. He's not detached. He's not aloof. That's why we can get to know him. And there's three simple truths I want you to, I want you to understand here. First, God is never too busy for you. Your parents may be too, maybe were too busy for you. Maybe you're too busy for your kids. But God's never too busy for you. When you pray, God doesn't say, uh, hey, not now. I don't have time. I'm too busy. Maybe later. Nope. He's with us every single moment. The second truth is God loves to meet our needs because he's a close father. This closeness, Matthew 7:11 says it this way, you know, how mu- you know how to give good gifts to your children, so how much more will your Father in heaven give, give good gifts? I can say this really. Give good gifts to those who ask him. If God says, uh, in essence, he's saying to us, listen, as you guys are imperfect parents and you love the lavish gifts on your children, how do you think I feel? What do you think it's like for me to want to express my love and be close to you? And the third thing that, that this truth is that God is uh, sympathetic to our hurts. When I come to God with my pain, God doesn't say, oh, come on, get over it. You'll get over it. Put a Band-Aid on it. It's just a little easy thing. Don't worry about it. Listen, uh, if you've had a tough week, God understands. Scripture tells us the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And, and I have no doubt that in a crowd this size today that there's someone here suffering from a broken heart. There's someone here that, that feels crushed in spirit. And again, I, I just want to encourage you. What do you do? Well, turn to God. He's sympathetic to your hurt. He loves to meet our needs. He's never too busy for us, and he wants to help us out. He's our loving Heavenly Father. Now, the word, just to frame this thing, um, the word that Jesus used for Father in Aramaic is Abba. Um, Are we there? Slide? Wait a minute. There it is. Now, I'm not talking about the Swedish rock group from the 70s. And, you know, just on the side, if you laughed at that, I know how old you are out there. Because no... No young generation would laugh at that joke. No, I'm not talking about that. Abba is the first word that every Middle Eastern child learns because it means daddy. It's an intimate term. Now, um, I have three children. My, my kids are all in their 20s. My oldest, Adam, turns 30 this year, and that's a, that's a milestone in his life. That's a whole other story. But, uh, you know, even now when I talk to my kids and they use the term dad, it still warms my heart. It still turns my crank. It's a term of endearment in our household. So what do you think would happen if we were talking on the phone and my kids were to say to me, oh, most holy procreator of the, of the, of the Marrier family, thou who so sovereignly bestows gifts upon us, we beseech thee for gifts of cash and you fill in the blank. I'd go and look at him and say, What? Huh? Who are you talking to? Well, God's the same way. He doesn't want to talk to us like that. He wants us to come up to him and say, Hey, Dad, you know, well, this is going on. The pops, 
you know, I, I just am having so much trouble dealing with this. Abba, I, I, I just need your help. This, this idea of even the songs that we sang, this, this thing of saying, God, I'm surrendered to you. Abba, I need you close. I, I need you to put me on your lap and just hug me for a bit. I need some loving. You know, no fluff, no ritual, just daughter to daddy, son to daddy. And, and, and not only that, um, let's just finally talk about God as a competent father. Let's talk about God's competency for a second. You know, he can handle any problem that you give him. Nothing's beyond his ability. Nothing is beyond his resources. Today, that's the direct opposite of what we experience as human fathers. Um, unfortunately, today, there seems to be this epidemic of, um, of incompetent fathers and and, uh, you know, they may be good at a lot of things, but they just make lousy dads. What's with that? Uh, you know, especially on TV and in the movies, um, can I say this? Most of the fathers we see are doofuses. What kind of a role model or example are we getting on TV when we see these dads? You know, maybe you've heard that joke that says, my dad can beat up your dad, and the other kid says, big deal, so can my mom. Uh, you know, it's just, we play them off as just stupid. But, you know, here's the truth. Nobody can beat up our Heavenly Father. Nobody. The Bible says in, first, in Luke 1.37, for nothing is impossible with God. He can handle it because, why? He's competent. I'll never get over when, I was, when my kids were growing up that they thought I could fix anything. They thought I was the wisest guy on earth. But, you know, as, he, as they get a little older, and my son's over here, so you can get truth of testimony of that. I'm being totally honest. They figured out that I wasn't perfect, that I couldn't fix everything, that sometimes when they asked me for advice, I, I didn't have the truth. I was just winging it. I was giving it my best shot, that I was fallible. But our Heavenly Father really can do anything. Nothing's impossible with God. Look at what it says in Ephesians 3.20. God is able to do far more than we could ever dare or ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers or desires or thoughts or hopes, way beyond anything that we could expect. God says, think of the biggest dream that you've ever had in life. I can top that. Think of the biggest problem that you've ever had. I can solve that. Think of the largest hurt that you've ever had. I can heal that. I can soothe that. God says, I can handle it all. I'm close. I'm caring. I'm competent. I'm consistent. You can trust me. And when we do, our, whole, our lives become a whole lot better. So here's my question for you this morning. What have you been doubting that God can handle? What do you not trust in Him? What, what area of your life do you think that you have to work harder, that you have to spend extra hours on, that you have to manipulate something at the job or something else because God probably can't handle it, so I better depend on myself and do it? What are you thinking? That you can handle something that God can't handle? He can handle anything. Any need that you drop in His arms, let him handle it. That's that whole idea of surrendering. You see, the bottom line is God is a God that cares for us as his children, and he can take care of us. He does that best when, when we trust him, when we respond to him. So this just leads to this obvious next logical question, and that is, uh, is everybody a child of God? Is God the father of everyone? Well, the answer is yes, and the answer is no. If you mean, did God create everybody? Yes. 
If you mean, does God love everybody? Absolutely. If you mean, um, does God have a plan and a purpose for everyone on the face of the planet? The answer is absolutely he does. God's the father of everyone in that sense. But, if you, but it takes more than birth to be a father. It takes a relationship. Some of you were probably birthed by men that you never knew. You never met them. They're your father by creation, but they're not your dad by relationship. And you know what? That, that's a tragedy. You miss that. God says, I have created everyone, but not everyone is my child unless they have this relationship with me. You see, we come back to that point about he's given us the freedom, the freedom to choose and the freedom to reject. That's the choice that we can make today is becoming part of God's family. So how do I do that? How do I become a part of the family of God? How do I know for sure that I'm in? Well, let's again look, look back at what the word of truth says. John 14, verses 6 and 7, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one can come to the Father but through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. Jesus said, that's why I came to earth. That's why I came, to show you the Father so you could get to know him, so you could be in right relationship with him. Galatians 3.26, we are children of God through being religious. No, it doesn't say that. Does it say we're children of God by going to church? No. Does it say we're children of God by obeying the Ten Commandments? No, it doesn't say that either. We're children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way to get into God's family, children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, in human terms, um, there's only two ways you can get into a family. You can be born into a family or you can be adopted into a family. There's no other way. And in the Bible, both of those descriptions, both of those terms are used as explanations of what it means to really, truly be a Christian, to become part of the family of God. First Peter 3 says it this way, God has given us the privilege of being born again so that we are now members of God's own family. Ephesians 1.5 says, His, God's unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. He did this because he wanted to, is what Scripture tells us. Either way, you've got to come to God the same way, through Christ, through Jesus Christ, by birth or by adoption. It's the same by faith in Christ. John 1, 12 says, For those who believed in him and received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. How do you become a child of God? By believing. It's an intellectual decision. And by receiving it's an emotional, heartfelt, conscious choice that we make in our inner being to say, yes, Lord, I surrender. Under new management, take control of my life. I need you. You know, if you haven't done this to this point, let me ask you a question. What are you waiting for? I don't care if you're Catholic, if you're Protestant, if you're Jewish, if you have no religious background whatsoever. No religion will get you into the kingdom of God. No religion will get you into God's family. No religion will get you into heaven. The Bible says it takes a relationship to our heavenly Father in this way through Jesus Christ. I hope you've already made that decision. But if not, the choice is yours. And I'd encourage you to make it soon. You know, most of you know me. You know I, I, I like having fun in church. I think of it as our Father's house, and I love being home. It's a comfortable place. It's a place we should be expressive because God is our Heavenly Father. But 
today this is, let me just get really serious with you. This is serious stuff, folks. This is life and death stuff. Let me ask you just this question, and, and, and I'll close. As friends of faith, as we live as friends with faith, are we making it easier or are we making it harder for our family, for our coworkers, for people that we see on the street, for people who live in the neighborhood, and for others that we're surrounded? Are we making it easier or are we making it harder for them to come to this all-knowing, loving relationship with God the Father? You see, because how we act, how we respond as God's children leaves the impression on people of what God is really like. And you might be the only Jesus that they ever see, that they ever come to know. You see, God's a Father that loves us more than we'll ever know. We can turn to Him for acceptance, to heal our hurts. We can turn to Him when we we need a sense of approval or we need this sense of attention. Um, The care that we've always wanted, God can provide it for us. He knows all the movements in our life, every aspect of it He already knows. He's witnessed every word that we've ever said. He's already conceived every thought. He knows every hurt. He knows every challenge we've ever experienced, every fear, every sin, every sorrow that we've ever felt. And unlike our human fathers, he's known every thought and understood it already completely. Today and every day, we can turn to him because he's caring, because he's consistent, because he's close, because he's a competent God. That's that's who God really is. His scripture says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I am with you always. Now, maybe you've allowed um, experiences with a human parent to cloud your view with your heavenly father and, and thought that God is unreasonable or unpleasable or whatever. You know something? You're wrong. You're wrong. God is none of those things. God is, in his truth, tells us all of his characteristics and we can turn to him today because he is our heavenly father. I want you to stand with me. As we close, I just want us to pray together and respond to this this whole truth of God being our heavenly father. So let me just ask you to take the hand of the person next to you. Make sure that nobody's unconnected. This is a step of faith for us today that we respond as God's family and start acting as God's family so that we do things in unity, that we start encouraging and supporting one another as a a family should. And let's just pray the the, the prayer that the Lord taught us in in his gospel, in in, in Matthew's gospel, chapter uh, chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. If you're unfamiliar with that, we've put the words up on the screen, but let's just play it all together as we close. Our Father... You in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth today as it is in heaven. Lord, give us today this daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours, Lord, is the kingdom and the power and the glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you today. Have a great week. 
Um, there's going to be prayer ministers up here if you'd like some personal prayer, if you're dealing with this issue of who this Jesus really is and you want to know more about that, I'm going to hang around for a bit. I'd be happy to talk to you about that. But go and have a blessed week enjoying the presence of your Heavenly Father. God bless you.